Hello, 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 everyone. Uh, it's great for you all to be here. It's exciting to be here with you all again um, on another edition of Kaya. It's always a wonderful time when we're able to come into this space to have some real conversations uh, with our senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Robert Charles Scott. And so we are excited once again to join, uh, have you with us for this edition of Kaya. Uh, this edition of Kaya is something that I think will be very impactful, very meaningful uh, for you. So we are going to dive into this today because I believe it's something that when we discuss this, oftentimes we talk about a God who is good. We talk about a God who is able to heal, a God who is able to deliver. We talk about a God who is a provider and a protector. But then there's also those moments when you have those questions of why God. And so we wrestle with a lot of different questions when it comes down to why God. And so we kind of want to catapult that and allow that to be our theme for tonight is why God. And so uh, we're certainly excited to have our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Robert Charles Scott, with us tonight uh, to be able to help us to dive into some of this tonight. Welcome, 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 Pastor. How you doing tonight? They, they got you muted, Pastor. They got you muted. There we wow. go. Hey. <laughs> I'm on top of this stuff, man. So, you know, uh, it's, it's been one of those days, man. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm asking why God right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. so we all we on the right topic then tonight is what it looks like. Oh. <laughs> uh. God right now, but um, uh, it's good to see you, and I think that um, uh, for those that are joining us, usually um, Ashley Rozier will be on the line, but um, she, uh, her husband has death in his family, and of course she's doing all she can to lead, aid and support to him, like a wonderful, loving, doting wife should, and so we want to lift up the Rozier family uh, in our prayer time. Um, um, so, so yeah, yeah. Why, why God? I think that, um, it's something that a lot of us wrestle with. And so I'm, yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward yeah. to, to trying to figure out why too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're going to jump into this. We're going to jump into this. We have several questions that we've kind of, um, kind of put together from, um, some that we've had before, also some that we've kind of nailed down. Um, and, and just to kind of get us started, I was, I was, reading, uh, listening to something from one of your good friends, actually, today, uh, uh, Dr. William Curtis, this morning. I was listening to something in my morning meditation, and he said something that I kind of want us to start off with before we kind of get into our first question. He said, oftentimes, we live in two areas of life. We live in the celebration. Uh, we live in the, um, he said, we live in the, in the birthing room and in the funeral parlor at the same time, because oftentimes we live in the life of celebrating for God to do something new. But we also find ourselves mourning at times when God does something that that we have to celebrate the dying of something. And so when we start thinking about those type of things, um, it really begs the question, why does God pick and choose uh, when he wants to intervene? or be involved in our lives. And we, some, for some examples, we, we know mass shootings have been something that we have seen. We know slavery for the life of, of this world. Uh, Jim Crow, victims of terrible crimes versus saving someone uh, from a terrible car accident, being healed, someone who has a life-threatening disease. And, and we ask these questions, why God? Why does it seem like God pick and choose? Why does it seem that there's times when I'm I'm diving in, I'm giving God everything. And then the person across the street doesn't even believe in God sometimes. And, and then here they are. They got life, health and strength and I'm struggling. And it's almost like a God that picks and chooses. So so why do we have that? Well, I think that, first of all, going back to your initial um, comment from my good brother and friend, Dr. William Curtis, about the birthing room and the morning room. What we have to understand is two things. Uh, number one, the moment you're born, you begin to die. Mm. The, the second thing is you, you, you're, you're, you're at your best self when you're born. Because at that time, the generation starts. Mm. And we don't think about it in those times. But the other thing is, as far as the um, uh, dealing with the, the um, 
uh, the morning and, 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 and the, the funeral parlor, we live in the tension. Mm. Uh, uh, we live yeah. in that tension. That dash is really a tension line. And so we live in the tension of how God navigate or how we navigate uh, a sinful reality for which when we look at the Bible that our biblical foreparents brought to bear. However, uh, when we go uh, into really the depths of what we know as far as human history is concerned and the history of the cosmos and the world, we know that, number one, God created everything to be good, very good. Uh, that is the benevolence of God. That is the um, generosity of God. Uh, there is nothing wrong with God. Um, uh, but we also know that evil exists. Yeah. And yeah. the question that many people wrestle with is, well, you know, if God is a good God, if God is all that, where did this evil come from? Well, y- you can't have good without evil. <laughs> right. Um, so evil is the antithesis of good. It is a matter of you choosing whether or not you want to delve into that which is, and if I could use this word, anti-God. Mm. Uh, anything that is anti-God is ultimately evil. So to wrestle with where we where we are right now, um, uh, we have to understand that when God created everything, when God created the cosmos, when God created uh, the earth, when God created humanity, uh, that the very essence of what existed uh, in the creation scheme is good and evil. Now, think about it, that when you go back into Genesis, Genesis chapter three, remember the tree that was in the middle of the, of the garden? Yeah. God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Right, right. Which means that 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 you can't have good <laughs> if you don't have something in which to contrast good with. Because if you don't have something to contrast good with, you wouldn't know what good is. Mm. So evil is the anti-God. Evil is the very essence that is very opposite of God. Now, 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 think about this. Think about this. And when we look at the Genesis account, it's, it's, it's very, uh, Genesis, you know, when you unpack Genesis, it's, it's real, real juicy. And it's juicy in the sense that when you look at Genesis chapter three, particularly Genesis chapter three, of course, the serpent comes and tempts Eve. Eve eats of the fruit, gives to Adam. He ate. God told them not to eat of the tree. Watch this, of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the moment that they ate of the knowledge, do you, and, and, and right. this is on the word, not good and evil, but knowledge that the moment they had knowledge of good and evil, then they became in and of themselves the arbiters of what is good and what is evil. And so now we live in a time in 2022 where we're calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Because we have now basically become the arbiters of what we consider to be good and what we don't consider to be good. And so basically what we have done is we have become gods in our own eyesight mm. in the sense that we define what's right and what's wrong. Now, if I could just take us into some deeper waters for a moment, because there is this term in theology that is called theodicy, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, theodicy. You've heard about it. You in seminary. It's, it ain't nothing but a $10 word that deals with the justice and the righteousness of God. Okay? The justice right. and the righteousness of God. And so here is the first thing that I, I want to throw out about theodicy that when we talk about why God picks and choose when he wants to intervene or be involved in our lives, mass shooting, slavery, Jim Crow, victims of terrible crimes versus saving someone being saved in a car accident, healing somebody from a life-threatening disease. We wouldn't have that if we didn't have sin. And we wouldn't have sin if we did not have man or humanity trying to be arbiters of what we've considered to be 
good and evil. So we wouldn't even be having this conversation if we really allow for God to be God in our own realm, rather than us trying to compete against God in defining what is good and what is evil. So when we talk about the justice of God or the righteousness of God, let me just put this out there for a moment to really drop a bombshell on us so that we can understand, first of all, where all of us are, because all of us are at the same level. Now I'm getting ready to drop a major bombshell. Do you realize that every time we sin in thought, word, and deed, do you realize that every time we commit the sin of omission, that means not doing what God wants us to do, or we commit the sin of commission, doing what God wants us to do, God has the right to take us out. Right. Which, 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 which means that none of us <laughs> to deal with all the other craziness that we have to deal with. That the moment you and I commit a sin in thought, word, or deed, and all of us do that, God has the right to say, poof, be gone. All right. So do we really want God to be totally fair in dealing with us? Because if God was, if, if, if God was to exhibit the full vim and vigor of God's righteousness, God just has the right. The moment you and I sin, we just evaporate. We just die on the spot. However, that doesn't happen. All right. Because remember, even in the garden, when Adam and Eve committed this egregious act of disobedience against God, at that moment, God demonstrates mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of allowing for Adam and Eve to die on the spot because they disobeyed God, God winds up committing the first death by taking the life of an animal so that he can clothe Adam and Eve properly. Mm. So God really, in a sense, and I like the way that one of my uh, professors one time said, God, in a sense, makes a sacrifice to God so that God can clothe humanity mm. in their as far as the garden is concerned. That's good. Uh, so, so, so I ain't done. I'm, 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 I'm just ramping up. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm just ramping up. So, 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 so here, here's the thing with the Aussie when we ask these questions, because our capacity is limited at best. Because we can't even begin to understand or appreciate the mind of God. God God is too, too, too big and too sovereign and too omnipotent. Especially, watch this, especially when we apply logic reasoning that is sinful to a perfect God who does not sin. Mm. All right. So so even the, the questions that we raise, which is an issue of fairness is flawed at best. Mm. So maybe the question needs to be reframed from why does God pick and choose when God wants to intervene and be involved to why does one think that God isn't involved or intervening regardless? Because the question presupposes that a good and perfect God is absent Mm. from the sufferings of creature and creation predicated upon choices we make at the time that we make God what I call theos non grata. You know, like persona non grata. We make God, God non grata. And then we'll forget one of my Old Testament professors at Duke um, said something that, that was very interesting. And, and I'm, I'm kind of um, paraphrasing it. God said, when dealing with the issue of theodicy, he talks about how how theodicy is is our feeble human attempt to defend God's <laughs> justice in the face of aberrant phenomena that appears to indicate God's indifference or hostility toward people who are good. Mm. That's good. So when we deal with why does God pick and choose when God wants to intervene? Let's look at even how Jesus navigated his earthly reality. Everybody didn't get healed in Jesus' time. Right. That's, this is true. Yeah. Now, everybody, everybody, everybody didn't get healed in, in, in Jesus' time. And even for those who had miracles that Jesus acted upon, they had to make some type of movement in order to be a full participant as far as their miracle was concerned. So, Here's here 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 is where 
where where we got to 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 put the hay where the cows can get it. Mass shootings. God was there because God, and this is how God operates as far as human affairs is concerned. God does not check this out, override the choices that we make against God, but allows for things to take his natural course so that we can understand the consequences of our actions. Now, think, think about it, Jeff. Go back to, to Genesis 3. Go back to Genesis 3. When you go back to Genesis 3 and you look at that in its full depth and content, you will see that in Genesis chapter 3, God could have, but God didn't. God could have said, all right, I'm wiping out Adam and I'm starting over. But if you read Genesis chapter 3 and you read it all the way through, God makes provisions for them in the midst of their mess, which is, watch this, mercy and grace. God makes provision for future offsprings because I'm going to send a seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then God issues, check this out, punishments for the choices that they made. Part of the punishment for the choices that they made, according to Genesis chapter 3, I'm just going on on Genesis chapter 3, that man would have tilled the ground by the sweat of his brow. So work, Adam was already working, but it wasn't meant to be hard work. It was meant to be pleasurable work. Number one. Number two, Eve, when she have children, there will be great pain in her childbearing. That wasn't God's original design or intent for the child birthing process to be as painful as it is. All right. Then number three, check this out. Hierarchical distinctions were introduced into the human equation. Right. God said, the husband shall be over the wife and your desires shall be for him to rule you. Okay. So even at, so when you talk about mass shootings, when you talk about, when you talk about mass shootings, it's hierarchical. When you talk about slavery, it's hierarchical. When you talk about Jim Crow, it's hierarchical. When you talk about victims of crime, it's really hierarchical. It is always about somebody trying to get over on somebody else. Mm, right. The gun, the gun in mass shootings is used to bring pain to people that you think is less than you. Slavery was master over slave. Jim Crow was white folks over black folks. When people are victims of crime, it is I'm trying to take something that you got that I want. So it is my bullying over you. So it's these hierarchical distinctions that are introduced as far as the human equation is concerned. Now, there are times, there are times when the divine will step in. There are times when God will step in and say, okay, um, um, we're going to shut this down. However, what we have to understand is that God's ways are not our ways. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than his ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when we look at how God operates and navigates as far as our reality is concerned, one of the things that we have to appreciate is the fact that whenever we sin, God didn't wipe us out. Whenever we commit a sin, God doesn't kill us. Whenever we think wrong, God doesn't kill us, even if we're in a tight situation. Um, When we look at how God navigated Israel through slavery, and think about this, and God knew this, and God does anyway, that as soon as they get out of slavery, as soon as they get into the wilderness, they act like they lost their ever-loving <laughs> Right. Well, now, now, now let me, let me, let me, let me, let me let, let's be honest. Because for a lot of us, God has gotten us out of stuff that we brought upon ourselves and we go right back to the same stuff. We're like a dog that returns back to his mom. So I want to push you for a second on that because I, I like that. Do do you think that when we ask these type of questions, why God, you know, this, this type of, why does God pick and choose who wants to intervene? And do you feel like that is man's attempt to make God a scapegoat for the things that man has done? Um, well, well, 
I think it's two things, um, Minister Jeff. I think number one is it's really a yearning and a wrestling for for answers to questions mm. that are ultimately too deep for our own comprehension and understanding. Uh, uh, and, but but here is here is how here is how wonderful God is. God can handle the question. God can handle your wrestling. So God ain't intimidated. God ain't inti- God is not intimidated by the Kaya experience tonight. <laughs> Okay. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, God is not intimidated by, by, by us wrestling with these because guess what? This is what we call this this is you working out your faith formation. Right. Okay. So God ain't intimidated by our questions. Um uh, God is not thrown off course uh by us saying, you know, God, you know, why you ain't stop that that shooter at Uvalde? God, why why you didn't jam up the 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 bullet the 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 gun in Buffalo? God, why why did all those kids die? Or or take it even further, God, why did uh, the Holocaust happen? God, why did slavery happen? God, why why are we dealing with all this stuff? You know, so. So it, it it puts us it puts us in 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 wonderful conversation because here here is here's the joy of the question and this is the joy of the question for me. This is the joy of the question for me. That the mere fact that you're asking the question demonstrates either, regardless of where you are on on the faith spectrum, that you at least believe that there is a God somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you can't wrestle with what you don't believe in. You can't wrestle with. <laughs> so, 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 why does God pick and choose? Demonstrates that at least somewhere you believe that there might be a God. However, notice what I said. When you say why, that's one thing. But if you use the condition if, you may be moving toward agnosticism or atheism, mm. because the word if is conditional. The word why means you're wrestling. You don't quite understand it. You don't quite get it. You don't like you don't even like it. And guess what? The God we serve can 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 handle that. So I, I think that that um that what we have what we have to wrestle with is 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 four questions that provide tension. And I think that I can that I can that I can deal with this where where we are right now. The first one is if God is willing to prevent evil but not able, then God ain't got no God ain't as powerful as we think God is. Yeah. Right. If God is able but not willing, then God is mean as hell. <laughs> and if God is both able and willing, then you got evil. So faced with this, the only possibility that we got to 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 wrestle with is this 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 claim that many secular people find themselves because what we do is we're wrestling with this from a Western mindset. But but here's what I want to drop on us. Most people in the culture, most people in the culture do not believe in God. Okay. But the God they don't believe in is the loving, gracious, compassionate, all-powerful God. They believe in a God that moves to their whims. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So what happens is, is that it produces an issue as far as society is concerned and as far as the culture is concerned. And, And basically it puts us in what I would call an interesting situation where there's no such thing as checkmate. Here it is. The first claim is, yeah, there is a God who's loving, compassionate, and powerful. And number two, the innocent suffer. And since both are clearly true, then one, as a whole package, got to be kicked to the curb. So either God has to be, can't be powerful, loving, and compassionate, or the innocent should not be suffering. All right? Now, Here's where we as Christians have to understand, and this is where we have to lock in, that for us as Christians, 
we have to realize that God is powerful, loving, compassionate, omnipotent, omniscient, transcendent, eminent, all them big words. Innocent people suffer and you don't have to kick out the, the baby with the bathwater because the bathwater is very clean by virtue of the fact that the only reason that we are living in this type of world is due to the introduction of sin that was brought on by us, not the divine. Right. Hmm. My God, I hope y'all catching all that. That's a lot. That's a lot. But I'm telling you, it's tight, but it's right, as they say. Um, one of the things that when we were kind of dealing with this whole aspect of why God, sometimes we, we come up with this notion of uh, it seems like as far as the Christian journey is concerned, we make it out to be one of suffering. Uh, why does it seem like in the culture of the church that Christians have to go through this journey of suffering um, in some kind of way in order to come out glorious as we seem on the other side? Well, we're living in a culture now and in a, in, in, in a time as far as church where you got a whole lot of folks who are trying to eradicate suffering mm -hmm. or not, not eradicate suffering, but remove suffering from being part of the Christian ethos or the Christian culture. And here, here, here is, here's the problem. Jesus said, <laughs> take up your cross daily and follow me. I've never seen a light cross. <laughs> so what we what we have to understand is that this is part of the equation mm. that to be a follower of Christ you, if you're going to follow Christ part of the equation is suffering and if you try to escape it or you try to get around it or you try to avoid it or you try to say no that ain't the way I want to go then you negate, watch this, your own development. It, because it's, it is in the crucible of suffering that we become shaped like Jesus Christ. And so when you have these prosperity pimp preachers trying to, trying to use God as the lotto and come to God and play what I would call the numbers of heaven, trying to get rich, trying to avoid what Jesus didn't even avoid, then basically what you have is you have an Americanized version or a Western cultural version of a corrupt understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it ain't the culture of the church. It's being a follower of Christ. Mm. If you don't want to follow Christ, and you you know you don't want to grow and develop, then just say no. But if you follow Christ, you're gonna go through something. You gonna you you will either face persecution from folks. You will either uh, uh, deal with um, uh, 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 the enemy coming up against you and uh, and attacking you. Uh, uh, and, and here's the thing. And unfortunately, suffering is just part of being human. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it ain't the culture of the church. Suffering is just part of being human. Atheists suffer. Agnostics suffer. People who don't believe in God suffer. Suffering is part of the human equation. Going through some mess is part of the human equation. All right. So it ain't the culture of the church. Going through the mess is part of the human equation. Here's the thing, Mr. Jeff. There are some rich people who got all the money in the world and aren't feeling well or doing well. And they're suffering. Now, they may have the money to make their suffering a little bit more manageable. Right. But they're suffering nevertheless. So suffering is just part of the human equation. But here's the shout for us as Christians. For us as Christians, what we do is it's all about perspective. So for us as followers of Jesus Christ, suffering becomes the crucible, that, 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 that bowl, that formation bowl that helps us to become more conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Whereas for the agnostic, the atheists, and folks who don't believe in Jesus, 
you know, for them, suffering is just something that they go through and they wind up, if not processed properly, becoming bitter and not better. You know, um, I tell anyone who, who will hear, who, who will listen to me. I remember when I was a younger preacher, um, uh, I mean, when I was a younger preacher, pastoring a church in Durham and in Lexington, North Carolina, and and when I was a younger preacher, and you would start preaching every Sunday, my sermons were, da 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 da, da you know, self righteous, black and white, you're going to hell, da 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 da, da until I went through a divorce. Mm. I, until 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 I went through a divorce and I discovered, ooh, life really ain't as black and white as we want to be as shades of gray. That 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 we got to understand that it is not God's uh, intention nor desire. First of all, because God doesn't like divorce, uh, and God knows that, for example, divorce is worse than death because there's really no sense of closure. Um. Um, and, and, but my preaching shifted and it became less judgmental and more compassionate, um, uh, and, 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 and left self-righteous. Mm-hmm. Now I, I, ain't, I ain't dismissing sin. Don't get it twisted because we can't dismiss sin. But my God, I, I, you know, I wasn't trying to condemn folks to hell. You know, and I think that goes back to that develop. You said something earlier. You said produce. And I think I, I really like that word of going through and you said produce, you know. And so, I, you know, I think man, that is really it. Man, listen, I'll be 54 years old this year. I am not the same person I was at 25. Thanks be to God, you know, because I've gone through some stuff. In my life. Right. You know, I've gone through. So so I, I look at stuff. And I realize life ain't the rose tinted glasses we think we think it is. You know, it's not as clear as we think. Paul says we see through a glass darkly. Darkly, yeah. 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 In other words, even what you see, you don't see fully. <laughs> yeah. What, what 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 you are observing, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes, and that's why we have to be ever so careful when we deal with people uh, to, if we're going to err, you err on the side of grace. Amen. Yeah. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff. Um, You know, um, for those who out there listening, I hope you are really taking this in. This is some, some really, some, some, some meat right here. Uh, So, so make sure y'all are getting everything out of this. This is good. Um, when we had this next question, this was one that was posed uh, that we reached out to a friend and they, they were they kind of posed this question to us. We wanted to kind of make sure that we came from all angles with this mm-hmm. and uh, the scripture, uh, Romans eight twenty nine. I told um, I, I told I actually wanted to make sure we included the actual scripture itself in here. Uh, eight twenty nine through 30 mm-hmm. talks about being predestined or God already knew his people in advance. What is the point of getting saved? And this is really where they hung their hat. And they just said, what was the point of getting saved or trying to be right standing with God if God already knows or so, going to believe? So, 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 so that, that is a, that, that is a great question. And it is because a lot of people misinterpret Romans eight twenty eight through 30. And that's why I said we're gonna put the scripture in there. I said because we're dealing yeah. with a, we're dealing with somebody a theologian here now. We're gonna put the whole yeah. scripture. Oh. <laughs> so 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 when you look at Romans uh, eight twenty eight through verse thirty, Romans eight twenty eight says, "And we know all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are the what called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He predestined." to become the sons of God. Um, uh, I think that, 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 and, and I want to pull up the scripture because I want to make sure that, that um, uh, folks really understand what Paul was saying at that time. 
to become conformed to the image of Sunday, he might be the first one, my brother. And those who predestined, he called those, he called justified, those justified, glorified. So, the unfortunate reality is, is that a lot of people don't know how to interpret this passage because when they t- when they see the term predestined, they don't know what predestined mean. But I'm getting ready to tell you what predestined means. All right. <laughs> okay. So. When you look at Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, first of all, just in that scripture in and of itself, everybody cannot answer that scripture. Mm. And the reason that everybody cannot answer that scripture is because everybody ain't part of the call. So how do we become part of the call? We become part of the call when we say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So when we say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become part of the call. And when we become part of the call, then we have the right to expect all things. And when Paul says all things, he means all things, good things, bad things, silly things, stupid things, great things, small things, minor things, major things, stupid things, sinful things. All things work together for the good of those who, watch this, love God, love God. Those who are the called according to his purpose. So the call are those who say what? Yes to Jesus. All right. That's that's the call. So when you say yes to Jesus, you become part of the call. You become part and according to his purpose. Now I'm getting ready to drop to you what his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's your purpose right there. The purpose is to become more like Jesus. Now. This verse is not about God knowing who's going to be saved and who's not. This verse ain't about uh, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. This verse is not God predestinates some to heaven and others to hell. It's more profound than that. This verse is about a predetermined result because you said yes to Jesus. Mm, this verse is means that when you say yes to Jesus, there's already a predetermined outcome for you because you said yes to Jesus. All right. And the predetermined outcome is God repairing the damage created by sin so that you and I look more like Jesus. And that process is called sanctification. It is carried out through the rubric of discipleship. Right. So Jesus came not only to die for our sins, but to show us how to be the best human beings we can be. All right. God already knows how God wants us to look. He wants to look like Jesus. Okay, he wants us to look like Jesus in agape love. He wants to look like Jesus in radical obedience. He wants us to look like Jesus in loving folks who don't love us back. Or loving folks who may deny us or loving folks who may betray us. All right. He wants us to look like Jesus in love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and compassion and power and healing and kindness. That's how he wants us to look. So, so the predestined means that there's already a predetermined outcome that's going to happen when you answer the call. And, and then if you notice, look at, look at verse 30, you see the steps. Those he whom he what predestined, he also called. All right. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those justified, he also glorified. So you can't skip any of the steps. Mm-hmm. We are predestined. God has already predetermined an outcome. But those ways that we predestined these, he also called. So when you say yes to Jesus, you become part of the call. When you become part of the call, you already have predetermined outcome. What's that predetermined outcome? To look like Jesus. Then how do we look like Jesus? Because we are now justified, which means that Jesus' righteousness is placed on us. And then we're glorified. And glorified basically is the final consummation, the final product of what God wanted us to be. Now, if you look at Romans chapter 8, particularly verse 30, predestined, called, justified, glorified, those are all past tense. They are past tense. It ain't no perfect past tense. It ain't no perfect part of the past. It's all it's straight up past tense. ED, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Yeah. Now, how could something be past tense if it ain't happened yet? Right. <laughs> 
dealing with God between the start of God, between the start and the finish of God's plan for us being predestined, being called, being justified, being glorified. God ain't gonna lose anybody. And and the words are in the past tense because in God's eyes, it's already done. God just waiting for us to get on the assembly line called sanctification to get to where God would have for us to be. That's good stuff. <laughs> And I think, you know, when we were looking at this passage, um, and that's why I said want to make sure that we included um, this passage, because you do have those who try to use that almost as a scapegoat to say, well, if God already know who's going to go, just let me know if I'm a part of it. And if I ain't a part of it, then I could just go ahead and do what I want to do. And it's almost like a way to get out of doing stuff. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's just it's just it's just laziness as far as interpretation is concerned. Um. Uh, unfortunately, and and it's just a lot of it. It, it is it is a corrupt understanding because, <clears throat> like I said, until you say yes to Jesus, you're not part of the call. When you say yes to Jesus in your head and your heart, when you say yes to Jesus in your mind and your spirit, you become part of the call, and then you have the right to expect all the things to work together. Watch this. Not for your good, but for good, period. Mm. He doesn't say it works out for your good. He says for good. And who is that good in reference to? God. God. And I think most people would want it to be worked out for not God's good. But they're good. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where we probably often find people at in that Yeah, because what happens is, is that the moment you become part of the God, a part, part, part of the call, Jesus' righteousness is given to you. And when Jesus' righteousness is given to you, you become, you know, um, uh, that Jesus' righteousness covers you. So that when God looks at you, he won't see you for your ratchetness. He sees you for Christ's righteousness. He don't see you in your ratchetness. Somebody should be shouting right now. He sees, he sees you in the righteousness of Christ when you become part of the call and he stamps you approved. Even though he knows that be, be beneath Christ's righteousness is your raggediness. <laughs> oh, that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff, Pastor. I think, uh, yeah, uh, let me see. Uh, let me check these. Somebody said, thank you, Lord. I know that's right. I'm with you on that. Thank you, Lord, that you don't see me through my... Uh, See me through my uh, my raggediness, uh, as you say, or my ratchetness. Uh, somebody should be shouting right there. Um, why do we have to pray if God already? And this kind of goes along with that. But why do we have to pray uh, if God already knows what God is doing? Uh, we what we need. Um, let me go back to the question. Why do we have to pray if God already knows what we need and plans on giving or not giving to those needs? I'm trying to figure out how to say this. <laughs> he um, said it came a long way, y'all. So he just... <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to figure out how to deal with it. So the question, the question in and of itself is utilitarian rather than relational. Mm. I break that down for us. Yeah, break that down for us. Yeah, yeah. The the, the question is utilitarian rather than relational. Now, I mean, yeah, yeah, now I I know I use big words. So as Brenda Irwin would say, you know, how to be using a big word. I got to pull out dictionary, but he breaks it down. So I'm getting ready to break it down. Utilitarian is when you engage in relationship for your own benefit. Mm. Okay. That that when you use somebody or you use something that's utilitarian. Where you make it one-sided. Okay. And 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 there are those of us who may be on 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 Kaya tonight who have, if we're honest, been in a utilitarian relationship where either we were used or we were the user. Yeah, yeah. You ain't got to say amen, just say ouch. Okay? All right. So that's utilitarian. All right. Now, put that to the side. 
prayer is not about you trying to get things from God or, or God give you what God would have for you to do. That ain't the real essence of prayer. Prayer is really for you to develop the relationship with God through conversation and communication. So if the only time that I'm I'm a pray is because, you know, I want something from God, I want God to tell me something that 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 ain't the real essence of prayer. So that's what I mean when I say that the question is more utilitarian than it is relational, because really what prayer is, is about conversation and communication. And when you get to and when you get to the place where you're asked, where, where you're just you just want to be in the presence of God, that's when you make the shift. From you looking at God as your sugar daddy or your Santa Claus or your cosmic bellhop to God being your God, to God being your redeemer, to God being your your heavenly parent, um, to God ultimately becoming friend. Yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy, Pastor. Um, So and then that kind of takes us going back to what you said as far as that utilitarian do you find that we most people i want to be kind of light with that most people but most people do live in a space of the the utilitarian relationship versus the other side of that relationship where you want to really look to build the relationship and 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 why do we find ourselves there well because we selfish (laughs) You answered it. You answered it. There are times I really wonder why why in the world does God put up with us? God could have been just as happy if God did not have to deal with the human dynamic of being in relationship with us. I mean, I think I think the planets don't give God any problems. The quasars, the pulsars, the galaxies don't give God any problem. It's us. We we break God's heart. We break God's heart. And it's just absolutely incredible that God after all these years, still puts up with us. So yeah, we're selfish. We're selfish. And 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 watch this and watch this. And part part of the development, even through suffering, is to shift us from selfishness and self-aggrandizement to becoming focused on others as well as on our God. Amen. Yeah. And this kind of takes me back for me, why when it comes down to to your preaching, you are are so intentional about putting even these type of nuggets into the sermon Um, and that intentional piece. And that it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. when We have some of the other, you know, who who only deal with the aspect as far as money and all those other things. We know some other things that just came out. We ain't going to deal with that foolishness tonight. You know what I'm talking about, but you, you put this into your sermons a lot of time where you are intentional about trying to grow us past that utilitarian piece. And I think that for me is what I find so refreshing about your, your style of sermon versus some others. Yeah, that's why God ain't letting let let none of us hit the lottery because God knows we hit the lottery, we lose out, <laughs> and we'll become like Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, he told y'all he was gonna be heavy tonight. He heavy. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the other questions and and kind of as we start to kind of wind down here, uh, we certainly do appreciate everyone for putting all the comments. Uh, uh, Ms. Pamela Bell said, yes, we break God's heart. And I thank God for putting up with me. I think we all kind of live in that space uh, with you, uh, Ms. Bell. We, we thank God for that, for putting up with all of us. Cause as, as we said at the beginning, as pastor said, God has the right to take us on out. So um, um, why do it, does it seem like, some people are living uh, and they seem to be great people who we celebrate uh, people who never step foot in the church or utter a prayer versus someone who goes to church, praise and worship, uh, pay tithes. And they seem to live a life of struggle 
or something traumatic that happens. And I know we covered earlier why this guy pick and choose, but even with this one, it almost seems like I've done, tried to do everything that I can to live this life. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when I see others who are celebrated and Mm -hmm. don't know God, Mm -hmm. but yet it seems like I'm struggling and how do it's kind of sometimes it's hard for the Christian to to wrap their mind around that piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For all of you all who are online, I just want you to in your in your spare time, read Psalm 73 and it answers this question. But I'm going to read it if I could from the message translation. OK, Psalm 73. And it goes something like this. No doubt about it. God is good, good to good people, good to the good hearted. But I nearly missed it, missing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have made it, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. Pretentious with arrogance, they wear the latest fashion on Instagram. I mean, environments. Uh, pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bowls of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They are full of hot air, loud mouths, disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? Like thirsty puppies. They lap up their words from Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Mm. Am I attending the store? The wicked get by everything. They have made it piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. Mm. That's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I had been given in and talk like if if I had given in and talked like this. I would have betrayed you, dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture. The slippery road you put them on with a final crash in a ditch of delusions. In a blink of an eye, disaster. A blind curve in the dark and nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes. Nothing. There is nothing to them, and there never was. When I was beleaguered, embittered, totally consumed by envy, I was a total ignorant, dumb ox in your presence. I am still in your presence, but you have taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly lead me, and then you bless me. You all I want in heaven. You all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who left you are falling apart. Deserters, they'll never be heard from again. But I'm in the presence of God. And oh, how refreshing it is. I've made God my home. And God, I'm telling the whole wide world what you have done. Psalm 73. It seems like they're making it. But in the end, mm. it's utterly destruction. In other words, don't let smooth taste fool you. All that glitters isn't gold. Amen. <laughs> Psalm 73, y'all. Psalms 73. Make sure y'all write that down. We put it in the uh we put it in the comments. So make sure that you write that down and make sure that you read that. Um uh, you know, Pastor, tonight has been uh, has really been a blessing. I think a lot of people we're dealing with um, even even as we people say we're coming out of the pandemic, the way these numbers are going back up. It doesn't seem like it. We're still in the in the midst of it. Um, I think we find ourselves really in wrestling with these questions of God. Why mm-hmm. and how do we navigate these <clears throat> questions and how do we navigate our thoughts and our emotions and our feelings? even in a pandemic and, and, you know, this question wasn't even out there, but uh, just want to go ahead and pose it for those who are still finding themselves dealing with the issues of even the pandemic. God, why, you know, I think that that's 
why are we living in in this type of thing right now mm-hmm. and it's just it's they find itself you know you're isolated and all this other stuff and we do wonder and mm-hmm. you know as you said earlier god is not afraid or intimidated by your by your questions um then these last few minutes um if anybody has any questions or anything you want to put in the chat, feel free. We just have about five minutes left. But I want to thank you um, and give you the, the floor for the last few minutes if you have anything that you want to kind of conclude with. Yeah, well, well, first of all, uh, I am so appreciative of um, Ashley and you for um, uh, continuing to, to give leadership to our young adults and to Kaya um, and having us to do conversations like this. Um, I know for me, uh, it, it keeps me on my toes theologically to have to wrestle with these questions. And I'll be the first to admit, I don't have all the answers. Um, um, it, it's almost like Job, um, that when you look at the story of Job, that when you read Job, which is the, the, the oldest book of scripture um, uh, in Job chapter one is like God and the adversary are placing a bed on Job and it seems like Job loses. Hmm. Yeah, it seemed like Job is the one losing and, and he did lose. He lost property. He lost his family. His wife told him, cuss God and die. His friends come by sit with him for seven days, didn't say a word. Then all of a sudden they started talking and they probably should have just remained shut up. <laughs> they were doing fine until they opened their mouth. From chapter five of Job to chapter 37, Job goes off. Mm-hmm. He goes off on his friends and he goes off on God. And so when people talk about Job was very patient, no, Job wasn't patient. He persevered. But patience was not his strong suit. <laughs> I always laugh when people say I want the patience like Job. I'm like, well, you clearly didn't read Job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> you, want that, you, you sure you want that patience? And, and, here, and whenever anybody says they want patience, don't they know that God's going to send the very opposite of what you need to develop? Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, all, all the spiritual gifts and graces are products of development. So from chapter five to chapter 37, uh, God doesn't say a word until chapter 38. When God finally comes to Job and say, all right, you got some questions. I got, I got some questions too, you know, and God ran down his litany from chapter 38 to chapter 40. Job was like, (laughs) you know, and, and 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 here's the crazy thing. When you read from Job 38 to 41, Job's questions were never answered. Mm. But God did respond. My God. And what we have to appreciate is that the questions you want answered may not ever get answered, but if you can get a response from the divine, it is more than you having your question answered. Because God can do more in God's presence and response than you can by getting your question answered. Because if God was to answer the, your question the way you thought it would want to answer, your head would explode. Because you cannot handle what comes from the mind of God. My God. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you've, you've helped uh, tremendously. Not not only uh, everyone on the, the chat tonight that's watching, but you've also helped, helped me as well. Um, so I want to certainly thank you for this teaching that you've done tonight. It's been amazing. Um, and what a way to conclude. What a way to conclude. So we we certainly want to thank you to everyone out there. As we kind of wind down on our last minute, we do want to remind everyone of uh, Quick 15 that is coming up. Um, so please log in to the Quick 15 as well. Uh, you can find it. Uh, numbers 425-585-7753. And uh, our backup number is 844-671-7214. And so feel free uh, at 815 to 
uh, dive in as uh, Dr. Scott does a quick 15 tonight. Um, always awesome time with quick 15. Thank you, Dr. Scott. Thank you, everyone. Um, and as we begin to close out, let us uh, go out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you once again for another day that you've given us. God, we thank you for this time. Uh, God, even though we wrestle with the question of why God, we thank you, God, that even in the midst of our questioning, that you can handle our questions and that the response may not be what we expected. But when you respond and when you show up, you do it in your own way for the betterment of us. So for that, God, we say thank you. Thank you to a God who is able to handle us and handle our cares. Thank you, Father. Thank you for everyone who is watching. Thank you for everyone who's tuned in. Thank you for those who will watch. And God, thank you for our senior pastor and for all the teaching that you have given him. Continue to bless him in a mighty way. And also continue to bless our uh, Deb as she handles and helps us with the platforms. It is in your son's name we do pray. Amen. 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 Thank you again, Pastor. Everybody have a great rest of your week.